reports of flying saucers are nothing new. From the beginning of recorded time, men have been seeing unexplainable things in the sky. At least 40 persons have reported seeing an unidentified flying object last night. What do you think it was? Well, if they call it a flying saucer, that's what it is. All of a sudden, it zoomed right up and, and stood right behind my house. From HV Studio, this is Unnerved. Thank you guys for checking out the Unnerved podcast. It's where normal people share their abnormal stories. And if you enjoy true stories of the strange and terrifying, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. Not everyone is a good storyteller, but everyone usually has at least one crazy story that will keep your attention. And the best stories, in my opinion, are the ones that leave you feeling a little unnerved. Most of these stories from everyday people will only be heard around the campfire by friends and family, but with this podcast, my hope is to broaden their audience by inviting you to join us around the campfire and listen to the ones who lived to tell the tale. When it comes to strange and terrifying stories, there's mainly one person in my life that comes to mind. Hi, Chris. That's Marcille, my wife's grandma. Now, if you were to spend enough time with her, you'd most likely hear at least one crazy story from her life. Her memory and attention to detail has always impressed me, and I knew she would be a great person to interview. Are you familiar with what a podcast is? Well, I, I know that I've heard the word, but, but no, I'm not. That's fine. That's fine. So After explaining what a podcast is and the stories I was looking for, she agreed to tell a story. Now, at first... She wasn't sure which story to tell. I suggested a few topics, and I was surprised with the topic she chose. UFOs. This is her story. In January of 1967, I believe it was, it was either 66 or 67, but it was in January. And I was talking to my mother on the phone. We lived next door to each other. Um, But there was a big bean field, I think it was, between us. (laughs) I can't remember exactly what was being grown that year. But I was looking out my kitchen window toward my mother's house. And on the other side of um, my mother's house was our church on the corner. And as we were talking, it was a little after 11 because we had watched a very interesting um, program on TV about the slums in Chicago. So we were discussing that. And I noticed 
a lot of lights in a row over the church, just above the church. I don't know. It's hard to remember exactly how high it was, but I would say maybe three stories above the church roof. And it just stood there. And then I noticed that it was there was a shape to it and it was like round or oblong kind of halfway between round and oblong um and the lights were red and green and it was like every other one was one you know was red or green well i said mother there's something very strange hanging over the church and it's not moving and she said, well, I'll go outside and, and see what I can see because it was close to her. So she went outside and she came back right away and she said, yes, it's, it's, um, she told me the shape that it was and it was kind of like, kind of round. And she said, it doesn't make any, there's no noise. And it's big. It was like, not big, but, um, maybe 300 feet in diameter and it and it didn't make any noise i got you know i started to get afraid kind of and the children were all the three of them were all in their bedrooms sleeping of course because it was nighttime and my husband was at work and he worked the second shift so he was going to be home about quarter to 12. all of a sudden as we were on the phone it zoomed right up and, and stood right behind my house. There were, you know, large kitchen windows. And I was, you know, I said, Mother, I've, I've got to go. I've, I've got to go in the bedroom. I got to get away from these windows. And, um, and not a sound. I mean, just make one sound and it just stood perfectly still. And I looked at it kind of good but then I, I just had a very creepy feeling you know of course I was just really petrified <laughs> and um, then I went in my bedroom which was on away from the kitchen on the opposite side of the house and um, I don't know I I don't think I looked I one time I got up and looked out the boy's bedroom window and it was still there but it was like you know maybe less than 10 minutes later I got up and looked one time and it was still there so I went back to bed and covered up my head <laughs> with a bedding and I was just I just stayed there and didn't get up and look again and afterwards the children were so upset that I didn't wake them up and tell them about it so they could see it too but my mother did when she went when she went outside and looked at it and went back in then she woke my my father up and he went out too and saw it well when when uh, my husband came home um, at quarter to 12 it was gone the next morning I had the radio on in the kitchen and they were talking about well they called it like a flying saucer and a lot of people saw it all the way from southern Michigan up across the Straits, and several people reported it. So it wasn't just us. And I, I knew it was there. I mean, I, I saw it. 
but I never talked about it afterwards, hardly ever, until years later. It was just something about it. I just didn't want it. And I never talked about it um, maybe one time with my mother and dad after that incident. What do you think it was? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm so glad that it didn't come inside and get me. I don't know. I was so, you know, because I had heard of things like that happening. Needless to say, Grandma's story was more than I expected. We talked about her experience on the phone for a bit longer, and she later confirmed that this encounter happened in 1966, not 67. After the interview, I went online and I started looking into UFO sightings around that time in Michigan. Now, throughout American history, UFO reports are not uncommon, but a large number of reports stood out more than any others. It involved a specific state and a specific year. Michigan, 1966. The same year that Grandma's UFO encounter occurred. As I dug deeper, I was able to get audio from local radio stations that covered this phenomenon. Forty persons say a flying saucer landed last night some 15 miles northwest of Ann Arbor. A dozen of the witnesses were policemen who said a mysterious craft about the size of a large automobile joined four others before streaking away at high speed. Bring you the news with Frank Tomlinson reporting. Thank you, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. In the headlines, those UFOs in Washington County. The talk of Washington County this noon is, are there really unidentified flying objects? Or are people just seeing things? If they are just seeing things, then a lot of people are seeing those things. At least 40 persons have reported seeing an unidentified flying object last night. Not only seeing it, but seeing it land in a field on the farm of Frank Manor. Twelve of the witnesses were police officers. All of the witnesses were interviewed by law officials corroborated the stories of the other witnesses. WJR News contacted Washington County Sheriff Douglas Harvey, who had this to say about the UFOs. I, I have not myself seen it, but the fact remains now we've got too many people, too many trained people that have spotted this thing and give us the same identical description. We had a uh, fellow in here who was from England. Uh, he spotted him and his wife up near the Pinckney area. And along with him was an engineer from the University of Michigan. They both spotted it. Uh, last night, about 10 officers spotted the same identical thing. Various farmers and a professor from the University of Michigan spotted it. Everybody give us the same identical description when interviewed separately. And uh, see, I see, I'm getting to the point now, how can you tell all these people? They've seen something. We've got no answers yet, Lowell. Washington County Sheriff Douglas Harvey. Harvey said men will be at the Manor Farm today with Geiger counters. Manor and his son said they went to within 500 yards of the object that they described as being in the shape of a football. Two other Washington deputies saw UFOs last Monday night and said they took pictures, but that the film was sent to New York to be developed and that it would take two weeks. Meanwhile, there's a report that the government has confiscated that film. There is no confirmation of that report. 
As NBC reported, more reports of unidentified flying objects in Washtenaw County, only this time we have a reported landing. Several residents and police officers in the Ann Arbor area reported spotting mysterious aircraft, the third report in a week. Patrolman Robert Junewell from Dexter told sheriff's officers that one of the objects hovered about 10 feet above his patrol car last night. He said it resembled an airplane, had a waffle-like exterior, and lights in the center and around the edges. He told officers the lights diffused towards the center of the craft when it accelerated. Washtenaw County Sheriff Douglas Harvey rushed seven patrol cars to the area and reported later that several of his deputies reported sighting objects from two different locations. There was one who previously reported seeing an object of this general nature. Do you pretty much believe in it, uh, Deputy Foster? I do, really, because uh, you can discount it after you've actually seen it. Uh, we followed this one object uh, last Monday night uh, for some two or three hours. County Civil Defense Director William Van Horn says he watched an unidentified flying object hover over a marshy section near that city for more than three hours last night. He was called to the scene by 87 Hillsdale College co-eds who also watched from the dormitory. There were no sightings last night in Washtenaw County. These reports were just the tip of the iceberg. I sorted through hours of audio and news articles that confirmed one thing. UFOs were clearly active in Michigan during this time. These were honest people who had nothing to gain by sharing what they saw. In fact, less people spoke up because they were afraid of ridicule. What Grandma saw that night was described exactly the same way from countless individuals through the state. The only difference was that Grandma's sighting happened around the Midwest of Michigan in January. But a larger amount of sightings happened in the southeast of Michigan during the month of March. The amount of local press that was covering these sightings couldn't be ignored by mainstream broadcasters. Walter Cronkite from CBS made this special report on May 10th of 1966. Good evening. Reports of flying saucers are nothing new. From the beginning of recorded time, men have been seeing unexplainable things in the sky. And there's no reason to doubt they saw something. The question is, was what they saw really there? And what was it they really saw? The great flying saucer mystery of 1966 began here, near Dexter, Michigan, late in March. And before the month was out, flying saucers were being reported from New Jersey to California, from Colorado to Long Island, from Ohio to Georgia. Invariably, the first reports were brought in by quiet and sober citizens like Frank Manor, father of ten children, a countryman, a hunting man, a man used to wooded swamplands by night. Well, uh, first beginning, uh, we were watching television, and we have six dogs here, and they started raising a fuss, in which they never do much, so we, I went outside and gave a yell at them, and, as I turned around to come back on the porch, I looked to the north of me, and uh, there were, looked like a fallen star meter. It was red and kind of coming down and on a 40, about a 45. And so then I 
watched it, and I was going to see if it landed, and then maybe go down and see what it was. And uh, when it got to the top of the trees, it stopped, and a, a blue and a white light come on it. And uh, I looked at it, and I thought I was seeing things. Frank Manner's UFO remained over his swamp more than four hours. His children saw it, his in-laws saw it, residents of the area saw it, and the police saw it. No one photographed it, but Sergeant Newell Schneider of the Sheriff's Office remembered it well enough to draw it. No, it uh, moved very rapidly at any speed or rather any direction it wanted to go. Why it could change and go to the right or the left or go crossways uh, without hesitating a bit. What do you think it was? Well, if they call it a flying saucer, that's what it is. Forty miles away, another swamp land and another UFO sighting. This is Hillsdale, and the girls at Hillsdale College had a night to remember. Well, when I was looking out the window with binoculars, I guess it was about 12, I saw it, and I saw two red lights, and I saw what looked to be shaped like a pie. I could just see the front of it, and I just saw the round front, and I could see the lights on either side. And then the red light was sort of casting a glow over the whole thing, so it looked like a round disc. At first, when I'd heard the other girls talk about it, I didn't really... I believed them, yet I couldn't really make myself comprehend it because I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. But then when I saw it, I just was fascinated. I wasn't afraid. I, I just wanted to stay there and keep my eyes glued to it. I couldn't leave. I know I saw it, but, and I, I mean, I know myself I saw it, but I don't, I believe I saw it, but I can't fathom it because it seems so unreal. William Van Horn, Hillsdale's undertaker and civil defense director, also spotted the UFO and was out with his Geiger counter next day, checking a mysterious perfect circle where the UFO had been seen. Van Horn did not find any radioactivity here, but this did not shake his certainty that he had seen a hovering vehicle with two lights. Many people ask him why he did not go right up to the UFO in the dark. I'd uh, much rather be a live coward than a dead hero. And uh, with the area of uncertainty that we have here, uh, how do I know but what uh, maybe, uh, maybe there's a current, uh, an electrical charge which is being uh, radiated by one of these vehicles which would uh, uh, electrocute you if you got within a certain area of it. There was no sound whatsoever. I could not hear a, uh, a bit of sound. The Air Force sent its chief scientific consultant on UFOs, Professor J. Allen Hynek, to check the Michigan sightings. Dr. Hynek agreed that the good citizens of Michigan had seen something in the marshlands. He thought they had seen marsh gas. I've had many, many letters pointing out that um, they, as children on the farm, had had many experiences with swamp lights and that this was obviously the thing that it was and they couldn't understand why the people in Michigan got so excited over swamp lights. And the illusion of motion frequently is given by the fact that a little bit of swamp light appears here, it goes out, another one appears over here, that goes out there, but the illusion as viewed from a distance is that the objects have moved back and forth. And sometimes this gas will gather into a ball and actually float away. In Washington, a private unofficial group known as NICAP, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, called a news conference, dismissed the swamp gas theory, and reopened an old argument with the Air Force. NICAP's director, Major Donald E. Kehoe, a retired Marine Corps officer, insisted that the Air Force knew more than it was telling. We are being observed by some type of 
device, which is ahead of us, far ahead of us, and is probably controlled by a highly advanced superior civilization. Now, this is a conclusion which I personally have stated and is shared by some members of our Board of Governors and advisors, not all of them. But it has reached to the point where many people in the Air Force have the same conclusion. In fact, the Air Force at one time had a top secret estimate that these things were interplanetary spaceships. So you will see that this, instead of being a uh, subject for ridicule and a big joke, actually is a serious matter which could affect the lives of all of us. And for the umpteenth time in as many years, the Air Force, called before a congressional committee, said it was hiding nothing. Air Force Secretary Harold Brown. We have not been hiding anything. The investigations have been made public. The explanations of those where there is a clear explanation have been made public. The hearing this morning was public for just that reason. Uh, in those cases where for lack of data, for lack of a convincing hypothesis, the sighting has been kept in the unidentified category, we've been perfectly willing to say that too. But if the Air Force had nothing to hide, in Frank the Manor, the Michigan farmer who had brought in the first report, was caught in the middle. He was mad. Well, even look at here, look, beer bottles thrown. Look at my windshield. What would you think if somebody was throwing beer bottles at your house, standing out in the middle of the road screaming, uh, you nut, you're fantastic, and all that? What would you think? Are you sorry now that you did tell people what you saw? Yes, I am. I am, I am sorry because it, 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 not that it, it, it's not the truth, but it's just the idea, the reaction of the people. They think you're a, a nut. To tell you the truth, that's just what they figure you are. And I'm not going to take it no more. I don't want nobody down in here. I, I just leave me alone. And if, and if the thing lands right there, right there by that pump, I'd never say a word. And he got out and talked to me. I wouldn't tell nobody. That's just the way I feel. I'm bitter and, and disgusted in the whole matter. And uh, if, if people's going to act like that, I hope one lands right in Ann Arbor, right in the middle of Detroit. Now, I understand that there's a lot to unpack here. I debated if I should even go more in depth about the police reports, the Air Force, Project Blue Book, and even Gerald R. Ford's involvement. But then I realized that I would probably end up with a podcast just dedicated to this event from 1966. Now I'm sure we'll touch on UFOs again in the future, but for now, I'm excited to share more unnerving stories in the upcoming episodes. Let me leave you with one last interview that I was able to find. Dr. Alan Hynek was the main scientist sent by the Air Force to investigate these UFO reports. His conclusion was that swamp gas was likely what the people saw. The people reporting these sightings were furious and did not accept this for an explanation. Eleven years later, in 1977, a radio host named J.P. McCarthy interviewed Dr. Hynek on his current opinions on UFOs and who was really behind the explanation of swamp gas. The Air Force did, or the National Archives, did release the files of Project Blue Book, on which I was consultant for a good many years, and that is uh, incorporated in my new book, the uh, which is very modestly called the Hynek UFO Report. 
What I do there is, I think that does, many of those do make juicy reading. Juicy not in the usual newsstand sense, but juicy in the sense that it uh, shows how the Air Force really bungled many of the cases and uh, did a very real job of keeping cases from the public. They, they, uh, Why? Why would they do that? Largely because they had were operating under a very strong recommendation of this from the CIA, uh, which convened a panel, a special panel in 1953, called the Robertson Panel, and which I was an associate member, incidentally. Uh, the uh, CIA was not frightened of UFOs. They were frightened of UFO reports. They were afraid that the public might panic. And at that time, particularly, they were terribly concerned about subversive elements in the country. And they thought that these, these subversive elements, the communists, might use the whole UFO phenomenon, the UFO clubs and the UFO organizations as fronts for subversive activities. And so they strongly recommended that the Air Force do everything it can could to debunk the situation. And you were one of the major debunkers. I was debunkers. one of the major debunkers. I mean, uh, uh, because I thought that the whole thing was a lot of junk. Have you changed your mind? Yes, significantly? I Oh, absolutely significantly. Otherwise, I wouldn't be heading up the Center for UFO Studies. UFO sightings uh, in the Ann Arbor area, also in Dexter, in Dexter and as I recall, in, in Hillsdale. Mm -hmm. And uh, you came in. You were a great debunker in those days. You were you headed the investigation team for the Air Force. Am I right coming in to no, I was have a, a look? I was their consultant. Well, I headed the investigation, that immediate one, yes. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. And you determined it was marsh gas. How did you make that determination? Oh, boy. Well, the point is that at the press conference, which they tell me was the largest in the history of the Detroit Press Club at that time, uh, I had said, and I have it on record, that if we limited our attention to the faint lights that the girls at Hillsdale had seen in the swampy area, the Arboretum, that those could be explained as swamp gas. But what happened is that the reporters apparently needed a buzzword, and swamp gas was it. And as soon as I mentioned that, they underlined it in their press release and dashed off to the telephones. And I couldn't say, hold on, boys, that's not the whole story. Uh, swamp gas was it. And uh, I believed it. And as a matter of fact, the faint light still could have been explained as swamp gas, but not the, not the major sightings, not the large things that were reported. Okay. Uh, did the Air Force ever tell you, look, Dr. Heineck, we don't want to cause any panic explain this away as natural phenomena well did they I, say that to you either directly or by insinuation by insinuation yes but not directly they, they never gave me any specific orders but it was quite clear that they uh, wanted me to do the best i could to explain it as a natural thing yeah and i tried now the uh, the the humanoids these uh, creatures that these people uh, say they uh, say they saw it. Do they look anything like the uh, uh, the creatures as depicted in Close Encounters, the movie? Oh, absolutely. In fact... Is that uh, where you got it from? That's where Steve Spielberg got it from. He, When I uh, became technical advisor to Close Encounters, the third kind, at first I was not going to have anything to do with a Hollywood movie because I felt that would really ruin my scientific credibility. But, um, but when I discovered that Spielberg had really done his homework very well and had... Uh, was very knowledgeable. Uh, he based the uh, appearance of the creatures pretty much on actual UFO reports. Yeah, fascinating. Well, they looked. Uh, they almost looked like an embryo. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, I would tend to describe them more in general as uh, uh, overgrown goblins. Mm -hmm. Generally, large heads, spindly bodies, 
And uh, I, I'm not making this up. This is what's reported, you see. Yes. And I, I'm acting here largely just as a reporter, telling you what, what people tell me. You were a great disbeliever. I want to talk about that and how much you've changed. If I may, Dr. Heineck, in a minute here. Next on Unnerved. I could see something that was tall and lanky, and it was kind of grabbing one tree, you know, hopping around it, grabbing another one, just kind of like a do-si-do kind of. This thing stopped moving, looked straight at us, and started running towards us. Share your story by writing the Unnerved Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at Unnerved Podcast. Thanks for listening.